Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And the Oscar goes and to. And the Oscar goes And the Oscar to... goes to. Gentlemen, my only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten your I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Welcome to the next best picture podcast. And the Oscar goes to the shape of water. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 99 of the Next Best Picture podcast, one episode away from 100. Unbelievable, unbelievable, unbelievable. I'm in shock already about it as well. And here to join me for this episode, I have my co host, Will Mavity. Hello. Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. And Josh Barham. Hello, hello. Oh, everybody. So. The last couple of weeks, we've been talking about mid-year 2018. We're talking about the best of the year so far. We did that on episode 97. Episode 98, last week, we talked about Oscar contenders from the first half of the year. And now, for episode 99, I think we should embarrass ourselves a little bit for our listeners. I think we should do our mid-year Oscar predictions. (laughs) So we're halfway through the year. We know they're probably really awful. Maybe, maybe not. But at least it will be a record lasting somewhere. Because who knows? Maybe some of us uh, know something that others don't in our crystal balls out there. Uh, But I wanted to just, first of all, talk through it. This is a question that I ask sometimes here on the podcast. I'm going to ask it right now. Michael Schwartz, you first. What is going to be the next best picture? The next best picture. Well, I think I should preface this by saying at this point last year, I think I had the current war toward the top of my predictions. (laughs) (laughs) So that just goes to show you how much can change in just a couple months. So uh, are you looking for all my predictions or just what I think is going to win? Uh, what do you, what do you just have like in the winning slot right now? Okay, so based on just some buzz that we've been hearing and looking at how the season's going to take shape, uh, my placeholder, if you will, is Bradley Cooper's *A Star Is Born*. Hey, you you echo that too, Will? Yes. What about you, Parm? Um, well, with the caveat that it's early and that I'm probably going to be a hundred percent wrong on most of what I say, I have *Black Klansman*. And the only reason why I really have that there is just because it has gotten a lot of great buzz so far. And knowing that Spike Lee has been out of the uh, spotlight for a while, I could kind of see this being a big comeback for him. And there's potential for that movie to do really well. You have a winning, I, I would imagine, screenplay as well to go along with it, too, right? Um, yes, I do. But I feel like the thing is, with Spike Lee here, that film got good reviews, but the reviews were still 
more in the good, not great category for the most part. Well, let's also remember, too, that this is a small sample of people at Cannes, and there have been times where films did premiere at Cannes and, you know, kind of came out to tepid reviews and then later on, like Nebraska, Nebraska. Inglorious Bastards is the prime example. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think this movie is going to play much better with the domestic audience. But so it might make a lot of money, surefire best picture nominee. But what is what I'm saying is ultimately, if the reviews continue as they are, with people liking it, but feeling like maybe it ultimately handles the subject a bit too lightly, and then even though it's made by a person of color, I can imagine the internet being like, it doesn't take this issue seriously enough, and starting a bunch of controversy. I feel like this is a film where Spike Lee ends up winning best director, or they just give it a screenplay Oscar, and that. That's how you reward Spike Lee for his big comeback, but it doesn't necessarily take best picture. And I can definitely see that. Uh, I could definitely see Spike Lee winning director and picture going to something else. But I also think when you're talking about predictions this early, it's best to not go for splits, even though we have seen them quite frequently um, in these past couple of years. I think it's still best to err on the side of caution and predict picture and director going together. And I feel a little bit more confident about Spike Lee and director at this point. So because of that, I'm still sticking with Black uh, Black Klansman in picture. Well, the, these are my top five in picture. Black Klansman is in the top five. I have it at number four. So my number five film is If Beale Street Could Talk. That's Barry Jenkins' new film coming out. Four is Black Klansman, as I said before. Three, I have The Front Runner, which... That's Jason Reitman's second film this year, and I do believe it's going to do very well because of residual love from Tully. I think it's going to help catapult him back into the Oscar conversation. Um, number two, I'm the only one other than Josh that disagrees. I have A Star is Born at number two. And this is this is a wild card pick, and obviously I have nothing really to base this on because I, I, I don't know anyone that's seen the movie, but my number one is Widows right now. Okay, so I can say on two of those, I do know people who have seen them, and um, that's Beale Street and Widows. It's only one person who's seen Widows, but they did say as it stands now, it's a little bit messy, a la they tried to cram too much into the film, feels like it should be a miniseries instead of a narrative feature. And also, although The Departed did it, The Departed had that Scorsese narrative, this looks very much like kind of a mainstream crime film, and those just typically aren't the kind that win Best Picture. Well, I'm only going with it right now because I'm going with the Steve McQueen factor. You know, the, oh, we didn't give you Best Director for 12 Years a Slave. There's the Gillian Flynn, oh, we did not nominate you for Gone Girl factor. There's the Me Too factor, which we know from a social commentary standpoint will play up the quote-unquote importance of this as a Best Picture, you know, possible winner. And also, too, yeah, I am kind of thinking that we might be due for some sort of a mainstream winner that, yeah, like The Departed. Uh, you guys are sleeping on Roma. I'm just I, gonna... I was going to bring up Roma. Well, but that's a Netflix film, though. It is a Netflix film, but Netflix showed last year they're making progress, breaking into the conversation with uh, a, a slew of nominations from Mudbound. This is Quadron, who the Academy clearly likes. And also, it's very, I mean, like, what could be more timely right now than a celebration of the life of a Mexican family? 
you know, like that, that is with all that is going on at the border right now, the academy may rally around that is very much a political statement, particularly if they decide that Spike Lee's political statement is a little bit too lighthearted. I want to just acknowledge this because this was a fan question from uh, Mike D on Twitter. He did ask us, does Roma stand any chance of getting nominations since it is getting the Netflix rollout? Netflix's momentum has steadily been building up to this. So, yeah, with Roma, I think Netflix came very, very close last year with Mudbound. And if they give it even more of a push with a film that's of, uh, I don't want to say higher prestige because Mudbound was uh, very well crafted. But, you know, coming from an Oscar winner like Alfonso Cuaron, I think this is something that I said could be in director, uh, picture very likely, but then also in these technical categories like cinematography, editing, production design, uh, score, whatever it is. I think this could be the first Netflix film to really hit it big at the Oscars. Yeah, I completely Agreed. agree. Yeah, I completely agree about that. I don't have Roma like winning anything right now in my predictions, but I do have it high in a lot of places and i echo everything that's been said i think mudbound last year really was a showcase for the strength of netflix and even though they didn't crack best picture they cracked some major categories and i think that was a moment for the academy to kind of recognize that if there's a good film that netflix has they still want to nominate it even if there's going to be some resistance to the platform and i think if you have somebody like alfonso croan who is such a powerhouse filmmaker with a project that's already been talked about pretty frequently right now, I think it's in a really good position to do some damage. All right, so let's uh, move over to director then, since we're talking about Alfonso Cuarón, a previous uh, winner in this category. Um, in, 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 my, in my top five for director, I have Bradley Cooper for A Star is Born, Steve McQueen for Widows, Spike Lee for Black Klansman, Barry Jenkins for If Beale Street Could Talk, and right now, my winner... Adam McKay for the untitled Dick Cheney biopic. If Beale Street could talk is not supposed to be that good. Like not a contender. I've heard at that all. too. Yeah. And I not only talked to someone who saw it, I confirmed that that word is going around Hollywood with the head of a film site who's a much bigger awards pundit than any of us, that that's the word on the street. So I think we ought to be very careful in predicting if Beale Street could talk in any of the major categories. Yeah, well, I'm just going to come out and say it, that uh, I don't have it in any categories above or below the line. Same. Wow. Same. Really? Only place uh, Nicholas Bertel, you know, because now that he's a member of the club with uh, the film music branch, Maybe he gets a nomination there, but otherwise, I, I'm not predicting it anywhere. Well, you know what I'm going to do then? Because you guys have convinced me that I have been underestimating Roma, I guess, because of the Netflix factor. I'll just replace if Beale Street could talk in all my predictions with Roma. <laughs> that, should, that should actually help balance everything out, I guess. Uh, but in number six, though, and we're going to talk about this trailer later, I have Josie Rourke for Mary Queen of Scots. Yeah. Yeah. I think after last year and the climate that we're in and just so much changing in Hollywood, they're not going to want to have another year go by where it's yet another category of all men in director, which is yeah. tough given how few options there are. But here in 2018, we have Josie Rourke for Mary Queen of Scots, Karen Kusama for Destroyer, uh, Mimi Leader for On the Basis of Sex, Marielle Heller for Can You Ever Forgive Me? I mean, there are options to choose from, assuming that these movies play well. So... 
I think people are really going to keep that in mind when they're voting this year. And someone like Josie Rourke, who has more of a theatrical background, if the movie's up to par, can certainly make it in. Who do you have winning director right now, Michael? So I have a bit of a wild card pick right now because the movie has not been seen. I don't even think it's totally finished yet. But it's something that I could see really hitting it in these tech categories and also a few above the line. And that is James Gray for Ad Astra. Mm. Yeah, I, I need to move him up. I have him at number seven in my predictions lineup right now. He seems like someone to me who has a lot of respect, probably came close to a few screenwriting nominations. And now that he's doing what I assume to be a more accessible, big budget project with Brad Pitt, Donald Sutherland, uh, Ruth Nega, Tommy Lee Jones. This film, again, if it hits and does well at the box office, finds an audience, is something that seems like it could be like Alejandro Iñárritu winning for The Revenant or Karun winning for Gravity. One of those director wins. Well, and particularly because we have seen in recent years this big connection between director and cinematography. And I think that right now this could easily be Hoyt Van Hoytema's year. You know, oh, for he, sure. He, and so if he wins, why not also throw it? You know, they seem to love giving these space and science fiction movies a cinematography win. So why not also give it director? Yeah, so he's my winner uh, at the moment. And then my other choices are Bradley Cooper for A Star is Born, Spike Lee for Black Klansman, uh, Afonso Caron for Roma, and Yorgos Lanthimos for The Favorite. You think Yorgos Lanthimos can get his first director now? I hear that Fox, Fox Searchlight is really going to position this film to be their number one contender throughout the year. So if they're able to sustain that, this could be the film that gets him that director nomination after a few screenplay nominations. Or was it a few or was it just one for The Lobster? One for The Lobster. Okay, I, I'm thinking of his foreign nomination for Dogtooth then. Yeah, I, I'm going to save talk on The Favorite when we get to the trailer later on in the episode. Um, but I do have him in my top 10 right now. So that's a good call out there. Uh, Will, who do you have winning director? I mentioned it earlier. I'm kind of feeling like Spike Lee could pull it off. Okay, and Parham, you, you feel the same way. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, I do want to ask, though, what do we think about Chazelle and First Man? I know five people who saw the first screening of that, and apparently it's very cinema verite, a lot of handheld, just generally not as restrained. I, I know that Universal is already retest screening the film, which means they've probably recut it since a not entirely successful first test screening. But um, I think put him in the top 10. But from what I've heard, the direction is definitely not nearly as impressive in his previous two films. So, you know, he might get some afterglow love, but I do not currently have him in my top five. Or he gets the backlash that follows director wins. Yeah. And that, too. There are there are some people who hate him because of the hatred that fermented around La La Land. Which is ridiculous. But whatever. Best actor. Um, I thought about this a lot. And I have conceded that this is where, if the guy gets five nominations on this evening, this is where they're going to give Bradley Cooper the award for a star is born. It's a great part. It really is. Uh, you know, you see James Mason nominated back in 1954, Chris Christopher, Chris Christopher's impersonation or not impersonation portrayal, I should say, uh, didn't come anywhere near Oscars, but it's a pretty hefty role. And if done right, he could find himself in that mix after many previous nominations. 
I actually read an article uh, from like an old, old variety. I was at the Academy's library, and at the time in the 70s, it was considered a surprise that neither lead from A Star is Born made it in. They launched a pretty heavy campaign for him, apparently. Yeah, that was a big hit. But uh, as good as he may be, I do not have him winning Best Actor. Uh, I'm actually going back and forth between two people, and I'm actually just going to say both of them because I could change it by the time this airs tomorrow. I'm going back and forth between Robert Redford for The Old Man and the Gun and Hugh Jackman for The Front Runner. I do have Hugh Jackman in my top five. I do have Robert Redford at number eight currently. But I'm probably going to move him up because I rewatched that trailer again. And Michael, I have to say, every time I talk to you about that performance and about him, I always feel better about it. You have this way of advocating for him that just makes me go, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Ah. <laughs> Michael is the quintessential, you know, over 50 Oscar voter. And though they're not the same percentage that they were five years ago, there's still quite a few of them. Michael knows their minds well, and he likes Redford, so they probably like Redford. And it's, you know, it's the last time we're going to see him on screen. And the man's an icon. But and he's, he's never, never won an acting Oscar. Yeah, that's a great narrative. So what about Bale, guys? I mean, it's... Uh, that is a very showy performance, and he's won before, but it was almost a decade ago. I have him in number two behind Cooper. Yeah, I have him in my five. Also, too, his other win was for supporting, by the way, and we've seen them give sometimes uh, the supporting win to somebody first, De Niro, Kate Blanchett, and then they followed up with the lead win a few years later. But are they going to want to give an Oscar to Dick Cheney? Are they giving it to Dick Cheney, or are they giving it to Christian Bale? That's like that's like, but that goes back to the conversation of like, did they give Lee Chandler an Oscar or did they give Casey Affleck an Oscar? Well, he wasn't a real person. I mean, I guess the only comparison lately would be like, did they give an Oscar to Idi Amin? But also, that wasn't nearly Idi Amin wasn't nearly as recent and raw, and it also had the benefit of being still a relatively groundbreaking thing to give best lead actor to a person of color, you know. I think Sam Coffey pointed out that we're coming right off of midterms. People are still probably going to be angry. And we all already know that Dick Cheney was a bad dude. And they may not want to wrap their arms around that film because it's not going to tell us anything we don't know on that front. Yeah. I mean, I can't wait to see the movie. I love what Adam McKay is going to do with this material. I just don't know how people are going to respond when it comes to giving awards for these characters. You know, I have Ryan Gosling in number three for First Man because he is starting to get that overdue factor. Will, just based on uh, what you've heard from the people who saw uh, First Man at these initial test screens, was there any word about Gosling? Yeah, um, from what I've heard, Gosling is good. He doesn't doesn't necessarily seem like the kind of performance that screams, oh, my God, he's going to win. But I think he has two big crying scenes. And then for a lot of the film, he's doing the very kind of stoic Lee Chandler type performance where he's seen some emotional trauma. And so he's very reserved and restrained. So from what I've heard, it's, you know, it's, it's not an all-time Gosling performance, but it's a very good one. And, you know, if they recut the film and the Academy really decides they like it, there, there's definitely a world where he gets a nomination. And maybe, maybe if the other contenders 
drop out and it just becomes Ryan Gosling's year gets the win. But I, I would feel comfortable putting him at like a solid number six in my predictions right now from what I've heard. Yeah, I have him teetering between five and six at the moment, and I have kind of rounding things out. I have Hugh Jackman coming back for the front runner. Um, I'm the only one that has seen this film. So for you guys, it might seem weird. It doesn't even have a release date yet, but I have to put in Garrett Hedlund for Burden, which I saw at Sundance, and I think it's the best performance of his career, and it truly, truly blew me away when I saw it. So I, I have him in there mostly because I've seen the film. So, What about Steve Carell for Beautiful Boy? Otherwise, yeah, I have Steve Carell in number six. It's between him and Gosling at five and six for me right now. Okay, yeah, so... That seems like a consensus five. Uh, but then there's also to consider John David Washington for Black Klansman and Lucas Hedges for Boy Erased. Yeah. But the, the John David Washington reviews kind of said that between the two, Adam Driver is the one who gets to really shine more, you know, of, of the two actors. And I think he's going supporting. I heard good but not great things about John David Washington. I feel like that's not going to... Oh, and does does anyone think that either of the two Lucas Hedges performances this year could sneak in? I do. I have him in my top ten, but I have him at like near the bottom. I'm just waiting to see because Boy Erased was originally set for the Battle of the Sexes weekend in September, but then they moved it to early November, which gives me some hope. Well, and they apparently reshot a ton of it because the initial test screenings were not great. <laughs> do we think that Rami Malek can rise above the word around his film and somehow enter the conversation still. Nope. I think that film is going to be ridiculed. Yeah. Uh, Particularly because they're keeping Singer on, you know, he avoided because they said, Oh, we're removing Brian Singer. He avoided his me too moment. But I think if that film comes out and let's say that it does turn out to be good, then it's going to put him back in the spotlight. And I guarantee you, they won't be able to cover it up this time. And, and then, then on top of that, remember, they're eliminating the fact that he had AIDS. Yeah, one of the most important parts of his life. I mean, that's that's outrageous. All right, so help me out here then. So I have in my 10 slots, I have Bradley Cooper, A Star is Born, Christian Bale for uh, Backseat, Untitled Dick Cheney, Biopic, whatever you want to call it, Hugh Jackman, The Front Runner, Garrett Hedlund for Burden, Ryan Gosling for First Man, Steve Carell, Beautiful Boy, Robert Redford, The Old Man and the Gun, Lucas Hedges for Boy Erased, number nine, Ethan Hawke for First Reformed. Yeah, he's good to have in the 10. I have Rami Malek at 10. My question is, if I drop him, who am I missing? Can I suggest Brad Pitt for Ad Astra? Hmm. That would be interesting. That's really interesting. I mean, if it's an across-the-board contender, I, I, I guess, yeah. So what this film seems to be about... Uh, it's an original screenplay, and according to this uh, brief plot synopsis, it says 20 years after his father left on a one-way mission to Neptune in order to find signs of extraterrestrial intelligence, Roy McBride, that's uh, Brad Pitt's character, an Army Corps engineer travels through the solar system to find him and understand why his mission failed. The father is played by Tommy Lee Jones, who we could talk about later in supporting. But if Brad Pitt has a lot of emotional moments here, that seems like something that could be another acting nomination for him. And I think that would be his first since Moneyball, right? Yeah. Yeah. Even though and not only the best picture since, but first acting nomination. That film is also described as Heart of Darkness in Space or Apocalypse Now in Space, 
which means, you know, like that means not only could he have emotional moments, we could see Brad Pitt playing crazy, which he's very good at, too. So that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. What about, um, you know, they just gave an awards friendly release date for Mahershala Ali and Viggo Mortensen's Green Book. I know it's directed by a Farley brother, but the fact they plunked it right in November makes me think that it might be something that somebody in the industry is confident in its chances. I don't know between the two of Mortensen and Ali who's going lead and who's going supporting, but obviously the Academy clearly likes Mahershala Ali, and that could be a good Afterglow nomination. And, and if Vigo. he's going – and Vigo, yeah. I mean like Vigo twice, they have – he's snuck up on us and gotten a nomination You know that when no one was predicting him before like December – so those are two we can consider. All right, let's head over to actress now. Josh Parm, who do you have winning actress right now? Uh, right now I have the uh, internet it girl, Saoirse Ronan. Woo! I have her at number two. Hashtag same. Yeah, I, and it, it's one of those things where obviously it's early and you're kind of just looking for placeholders right now. But, you know, Mary Queen of Scots is a very Oscar-friendly project that we usually get. Ronan is somebody who's been nominated three times already, so she's building up the kind of overdue narrative. If the movie's a big hit and she's really good in it, it seems like it's got all the elements that can come together for a win for her. Yeah, I have her at number two. Um, I have at number five. Oh, God. I have Lady Gaga for Star is Born uh, at number five. I think that's fine. She's definitely going to win the Globe, so. I'll just say it now. She's my win. Really? Yes. Wait a minute. Here's my thing, though, about Lady Gaga winning actress. They have a clear out to give her something and also reward the film with original song. And then I don't because I could just I could hear I can just hear the voices on the Internet doing the whole you came from music. You entered into our house and you stole that Oscar from our favorite, you know, our our other it girl that we were trying to get it for. Yeah, but Cher did it. Yeah, I was oh. just going to say, Cher, and then it wasn't just because she was Cher. She deserved that Oscar. Yeah, she was. She is good in that. But I, I, I don't know. I guess I guess because I can just hear those voices, and I want to think of a world where that doesn't happen so that I don't have to hear those voices. I'm, I'm trying not to give myself a path where she wins. <laughs> well, okay, and so uh, how about, you know, I think the internet also loves her, so for every voice that is angry about her you're gonna have a thousand more who are like yes give gaga an actress oscar but how about felicity jones from the basis of sex because rbg is so relevant right now yeah i want to learn more about that movie before i put her in the five i have her sitting at a uh, number eight right now me too michael a uh, number eight yeah I, we'll see i think that's a movie that could premiere at telluride or uh, toronto so we'll know more in early fall but it should be good. I mean, Mimi Leader is a good director. She hasn't done anything in a while on film. I know she's been more on the television side. So we shall see. And at number four, I have Melissa McCarthy for Can You Ever Forgive Me? I want that. I want that performance to su- succeed so badly. But I talked to someone at Searchlight who, when I asked if that film is going to be a contender, basically gave me the uncomfortable face and subtly shook his head. So I am wondering if there's some negative word floating around that. This is someone who's seen the film, too. 
you're you're just giving me you're just giving me ammunition to take her out and put Tony Collette back in. <laughs> take her out and put Tony Collette back in. Well, before you put Tony Collette back in, have you considered Nicole Kidman for Destroyer? She's mm-hmm. my number three. Okay, very good. Why is that very good? Have you have you seen it? <laughs> no, it just seems like something again in this era that we're in with a uh, strong female roles. It's a film from a female director. And Nicole Kidman, she's on a high right now after Big Little Lies, getting some of the best reviews of her career and an Emmy. She has another season of that coming up. And I think people want to see her find Oscar success again because she only has a one win for the hours, which one could argue is borderline supporting. Yeah. Yeah. Did we get um, confirmation about who is lead in The Favorite? Rachel Weisz no, is lead. Um- they haven't officially decided. My searchlight guy told me that he had heard Weiss was looking at being lead with Stone and Coleman supporting. But at the same time, I've heard other people who've talked to others at Searchlight who say both Coleman and Weiss are lead. The only one we know is that Stone is definitely supporting. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I thought I, that was confirmed. So. Yeah. It's it's been unofficially officially confirmed. <laughs> like you're they're still yeah. waiting on deliverables from Yorgos. Like not everything is done with that film. Mm, okay. This is going to be controversial, but because I have a winning picture, I have Viola Davis winning her second Oscar for Widows. Nah, she could get nominated. But she's not going to win. I mean, if you've got it in for you know winning picture right now, I definitely think having her win actress is reasonable. Uh, I have her in my five, but I have her like number four right now. I think her star power and her name can get her in. I don't know if it's going to propel her to a second. Uh, Oscar win at this point for that movie this. though. Yeah, yeah. Uh rounding things out of her contenders, I have Felicity Jones, like we were saying before, Tony Collette for Hereditary, Carrie Mulligan for Wildlife. Mm, yeah. Which is happen. a performance that I saw back at Sundance, and I said it right then and there. Carrie Mulligan is coming for her second Oscar nomination. Um and and you've all seen the trailer, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, there's definitely something there. Um, I also have Glenn Close for The Wife, which I just saw recently, and man, oh man, is she, she is outstanding in that movie. The first two-thirds of the film, it's a very internal, very reserved performance, but there's like this simmering rage that is so internalized, but you could just feel it radiating off of every look and every gesture that she makes without actually like full on displaying it. And then in the third act, it all comes out and it is remarkable. I don't think she can win, but I I have her in the conversation at least. I cannot wait to see that. I'm honestly surprised Michael hasn't teed up Emily Blunt for Mary Poppins returns in this conversation. Yeah, that's going to be a golden globe. I can't wait to see it, but I recognize that that's not going to be Oscar. If she couldn't get, if she didn't get the nomination for into the woods, she's not going to get it for something lighter like this. And then Will, um, our favorite, Elsie Fisher, eighth grade. Gucci. I mean, after talking about all these other contenders right now and after seeing the film and such, how are you feeling about her chances right now at this current time? Um, The film's going to need to be a big box office success to keep her in the conversation. I think she could be really endearing on the campaign circuit. But honestly, this is a very strong year for the category, it looks like. And she's really good, but she also doesn't necessarily have as much of the scene 
that some of these might have. So it's possible. I really want it to happen, but she's not in my top five right now when I finally put predictions to paper. All right. And let's round things out with the supporting categories right now. Uh, so I think we're all in agreement. Do we all have Timothy Chalamet at number one for Beautiful Boy? I go back and forth on that on a daily basis because I think if they really, really like A Star is Born, um, then there is the opportunity to say Sam Elliott, who apparently has a really baity part, he's really good uh, to get that Christopher Plummer type career win where we really like this man. Why don't we give him an Oscar here? So if that is a big film, say it wins picture, director, actor, I mean, maybe they want to spread the love or maybe they just want to throw all their weight towards it. And you give Sam Elliott the, the Oscar. Also, there is the possibility if Bradley Cooper doesn't win actor and he doesn't win director for A Star is Born, but he gets nominated for a slew of Oscars, then he's got that Clint Eastwood movie that you could instead, that he's in a supporting role in, that you could instead give the the supporting actor win to him, a la George Clooney in 2005. Yeah. I do have him at number two. So. I agree with Chalamet as number one. Mm-hmm. And then after that, uh, Elliot is number three, Sam Elliott for A Star is Born. But in between Chalamet and Sam Elliott is uh, another bit of a wild card, but I liked what I saw of him in the trailer. And that's a nominee from last year, Daniel Kaluuya for Widows. Yeah. He is in my my five five. as well. Yep. I think that the honeymoon period for him is uh, definitely there. And, you know, I I could very easily see if it's a showy role in Widows that – as uh, as t- Tom likes to say over at Gold Derby, that winking devil type performance, I, I could definitely see that. Mm-hmm. So, so there's him, yeah. uh, Tommy Lee Jones for Ad Astra, as we mentioned before, that father lost in space. And then also, uh, rounding it all out, I've heard some really good buzz, and I know some people have heard otherwise, about Steve Carell in Backseat. Oh, see, I have Sam Rockwell getting in for Backseat. I've heard that uh, Rockwell has a smaller role, whereas Steve Carell is like the dominant supporting player and has some really baity scenes. But I heard, I heard it's more like a McConaughey and Wolf of Wall Street type role where he's like charming and funny, but there's no scenes that scream Oscar nomination. You know, there's no crying, there's no yelling. He's just more like the fun guy who seduces him into this world. Yeah, but do you always need that crying and yelling scene and supporting? It, it helps. How about speaking to people of Afterglow? How about J.K. Simmons for the front runner? I don't know what his role is. I know it's a huge supporting cast, but is he just going to pop up in a cameo, or is that a legitimate role? Right. I ha- I don't have him in my ten because I don't know the nature of it either. Let's see who he's playing and see if I can illuminate something for us. As you're looking at that, there's another actor in Widows who is sort of on a high right now between a Tony nomination and an Emmy nomination, and that's Brian Tyree Henry. Mm, that's true. Yeah, he seems he seems to be doing really well within the industry, and it seems that he's on the verge of getting that one breakout role in a film. I think he's also a villain in Widows, along with Kaluuya. So, what about somebody who has been picking his projects very well, working with tremendous directors, and definitely is in a contender film? 
What about Adam Driver getting his first nomination for Black Klansman? Well, Josh, you have it for Best Picture, so why don't you speak to that? You know, I do think that he's in a really, really good position to get nominated. I mean, especially since if you consider he has been going on this track record so far of working, as you said, Matt, with very prestigious directors, getting material that's really showy for him. I do think that he could get in. Um Right now, I think just to be fun, I have Topher Grace, but I could easily switch him out for Adam Driver. I think that, you know, it's going to be difficult maybe to split perspectives between him and um, uh, who's the lead actor again from Black Klansman? John, John David, David Washington. Washington. John David Son Washington, yeah. Denzel. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. It, there might be a split in perspective or in terms of who wants to be rewarded for that movie. But Adam Driver's in a really, really good position for sure. J.K. Simmons is not just a cameo. He's Bill Dixon, who was Gary Hart's oldest friend and campaign manager and who ultimately is tragically disillusioned and leaves the campaign. I think that potentially is the kind of role where you get an emotional crying scene from an actor who the Academy clearly likes. If the film is a big contender and Jackman gets nominated, that seems like a kind of person that could also get nominated. Well, let me ask you this. Put that up against the following people, okay, that I have here. Joel Egerton for Boy Erased. That's not happening. Why? Because I've read the book and I've read the script and I've talked to people who've seen the film. Damn it. All right. Well, I'll take him out. I'll put J.K. Simmons in, I guess. <laughs> that, that's, that solved that. Just a word of caution about that movie, by the way. I am very excited to see The Front Runner, but it is being released in the same slot from the same studio. Uh, that's a, a TriStar that also picked the same weekend for Billy Lynn and Roman J. Israel Esquire. <laughs> Well, hey, it worked out okay for Denzel. <laughs> well, but yeah, to that but effect, like, though, the source material is so good. Like that book that, and Matt By is helping adapt it with Jason Reitman. That book is so good. It's going to be so relevant. And Reitman's in the middle of his comeback. I feel like it is the first time the media decided an election. So, or, you know, truly an influence in election. Tell me if I'm crazy, everyone, please. Just tell me if I'm crazy. In my number 10 slot. I have Michael B. Jordan for Black Panther. No, because I have him at number eight. You're, you're, you're both, you're all crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm not predicting him in my top five, but if they just go gaga over that film, why not? You know, there's a lot of people who are angry that he wasn't more in the conversation for Creed and for Fruitvale Station. Um, and le- it looks like, supporting actor will be less competitive than lead actor. Why not? I mean, he, he gets... Queen 2 could only help. Yeah, I would say if Queen 2 is good, then that's extra ammo in this. You know, it's... it's uh, That category likes villains, particularly complex villains. He gets to have some emotional scenes. He gets to have angry scenes. It's an impressive physical performance. You know, he bulked up for it. I mean... That if it weren't in a comic book movie, then this is absolutely the kind of performance we'd be predicting. Crazy that he's never been nominated. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, he's you know he's only had two films that were really in the race, but he's just such a good actor. Yeah, he's good. I'm not saying yeah, I'm not saying that he is bad in Black Panther, but I just do not really believe that he is anywhere near a contender. But it's July, so <laughs> who knows? Okay, supporting actress. Apparently, I need to take out Regina King for If Beale Street Could Talk because 
She's actually the one shot I can see for that movie. Just because overall there's some love around her? Yeah, she just got an Emmy nomination for this show, Seven Seconds, that was canceled by Netflix. And it's not just like it ended. Like It was one of the few shows Netflix came out and said, this show has been canceled, yet she still managed to get in, on top of two surprise wins for American Crime. So if people in the TV Academy love her so much, and I'm sure there's a lot of crossover with the Film Academy, if there's even an ounce of something to consider there, she's the one shot I can see for that movie. And also, too, just based on prior conversation, um, should I be taking out Nicole Kidman for Boy Raced? No, I actually have her at number five. That's a really baby part. Um, I, I actually feel pretty... Out of any role in that film, I think that's the most per- – particularly because the last two years, there's been a lot of love for Nicole Kidman. Uh, that's a pretty complex role and very fleshed out. That's definitely got a possibility. We could um, potentially see double nominations. Th- let me finish going through my list and then uh, we, we can maybe use that as talking points. And You guys can also tell me if I'm missing anything. Um, I have Kathy Bates on the basis of sex. Who's she playing in that? I don't know. I just saw Kathy Bates is in the cast, and I was like, why not? <laughs> Michael? Uh, give me a minute. I'll look it up. Vera Farmiga for the front runner. Sissy Spacek, the old man in the gun. Claire Foy for first man. And now this is my top five. Regina King, if Beale Street could talk. Andrea Riseborough for Burden. Margot Robbie, Mary Queen of Scots. Emma Stone for The Favorite, and Amy Adams for Untitled Dick Cheney Bio. Yeah, Amy Adams, I think this could definitely be her year. I mean, she's changed her appearance, and every year people are like, come on, go ahead and give her an Oscar. I think I think this is the Amy Adams year. Oh, Kathy Bates in On the Basis of Sex is playing Dorothy Kenyon, uh, civil rights activist, political activist, uh, and during the era of McCarthyism was uh, persecuted as she was accused of being affiliated with 28 communist uh, organizations. So I guess she has a role in the life of Ruth Bader Ginsburg in the early years. Hmm. Maybe. So I don't know how much she's going to be featured in the movie, but I guess she's someone to consider in that category. Who, who am I missing that you guys have? I haven't heard anything about the film, but it makes sense that if Roma is big that somebody is nominated from Roma, so the cast isn't very big. It focuses on a, on a small family, so why don't we go with whoever is not top build? I have Nancy Garcia Garcia in there, just because if I'm predicting it for picture, I, I have to assume somebody's going to give an impressive performance in it. I was just going to ask Matt, do you have anybody from Widows in your supporting actress lineup? I don't, because I didn't know who to pick. Okay, because if you got it up for Best Picture, it seems like one of the contenders might show up in Supporting Actress, too. No, 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 I definitely agree with you. I just, I need to hear more about who they're going to push where and so on. I mean, obviously, they're going to push Viola Davis lead, but I I don't know who they're going to choose. Get this. Uh, IndieWire has Meryl Streep as a contender for Mamma Mia. Here we go again. Oh, my God. What about uh, Amy Ryan in Beautiful Boy? If that film is the overall acting contender, it seems like she could Amy Adams in the master her way. And, you know, she's a previous nominee and I'm sure she gets some crying scenes and yelling scenes. You know, she's the mother in all this. I love that crying and yelling is definitely like your go to (laughs) like crying and yelling. 
Nomination. Well, you know what? It's a pretty reliable barometer, let me tell you. Uh, All right, so there are a few people that I have in mind before we move on that we haven't discussed, really. Uh, I'm just going to go from uh, five to one here. Nicole Kidman, Boy Erased, Emma Stone in The Favorite, Margot Robbie in Mary Queen of Scots, who I know we could talk more about later when we discuss the trailer. I have Amy Adams at number two for Backseat, but my number one right now is Olivia Colman for The Favorite. If she goes supporting, it could happen. I mean, that looks like she's a respected veteran actress, and that looks like a pretty – she's playing a crazy person. That looks like a pretty baity role. Yeah, I, I got my vibes from the trailer that she's going lead, though. Right, we could see about that, but assuming she's supporting for now, I, that's where I have her. And then outside of the five, there's Sissy Space Expert, Old Man and the Gun, as we mentioned before. There are Formiga, Regina King. But the one wild card – I like to have one in every category this early – is someone from a summer movie that hasn't opened yet, but I've heard from people who have seen it that it's actually quite good, just no word yet on how big her part is. And call me crazy, but that is Michelle Yeoh for Crazy Rich Asians. Ooh, that would be fun. I could totally see that happening. That's another one where it's a respected actress who's never really gotten the attention she deserves. Yeah, that film's good. I mean, absolutely. That's we, We've had such a dearth of Asian actresses nominated over the year. That'd be great. I could definitely see that showing up potentially in something like screenplay and then also carrying her through. Yeah, yeah, that's a good call there, Michael. All right. Anybody else have any other comments before we move on to... Uh, I keep seeing on IndieWire, Awards Watch, and a couple other sites that the person that's in People's Predictions for Widows is Cynthia Erivo. And she's only an Oscar away from an EGOT. Oh, that's cool. Uh, Okay, okay, I have one more. I have one more. Um... Kind of spoilers for the film. It's not out yet, but most people know this if you've read the internet. We all know that buried under all that old age makeup, they're pretending that it's just an actual old man. But we all know that the person underneath that old man makeup in Suspiria is Tilda Swinton. And Tilda Swinton is a previous Oscar winner. Everybody likes her. If Suspiria is big, I think that could maybe be a wild card. She's playing an old man. Uh, I don't buy it. Yeah, I'm not feeling it. I just don't know how that movie is going to land just in totality with the Academy. I know that we all like Luca and he has some afterglow because of Call Me By Your Name, but this is a very different movie. And I just don't know how widespread the love is going to be for that film. Hey, everyone. I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive. And keep feeling film. Let's move over now into some other topics here. Let's move over to the polls really quick. So we are halfway through the month. So we know now what our August uh, August 2018 movie is going to be for our next throwback review. Uh, in terms of, you know, what it's going to be based on at least. So the choices were Mile 22, The Happy Time Murders, Crazy Rich Asians, Christopher Robin, and Black Klansmen. And the overwhelming winner with 69 votes was Black Klansmen. Which means now that for August of 2018, we are picking from Spike Lee's films uh, what our next throwback review will be. 
And we've got quite a lot here. We got 25th Hour, Chirac, Do the Right Thing, Get on the Bus, He Got Game, Inside Man, Jungle Fever, Malcolm X, School Days, and She's Gotta Have It. I think there's a clear answer, and that answer is... <laughs> Fight the power. Do the right thing. So they should do the right thing and vote for do the right thing. That's exactly it. All right. And also we should remember that Public Enemy is a national treasure and Fight the Power is one of the best rap songs of all time. Okay. Well, head over to the polls page and cast a vote, everybody. Uh, moving on a little quickly because, like I said, we still got some other stuff to get to later on in this episode and we are definitely running a little long. Uh, last week's poll. Which film has been the best directorial debut of 2018 so far? So we listed all of the films from the first half of 2018 that we felt uh, were pretty good, pretty solid directorial debuts. And what's re- it's really funny. Avengers Infinity War was a write-in, um, but whatever. <laughs> it's a debut? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess people just really love the film. They just want to just acknowledge it everywhere where they, they can, even when it's not correct. <laughs> like five films deep for the Russos? Okay. Yeah. It's like, it's like we're going to have best film directed by a woman this year. Avengers Infinity War. It's going to be this one guy who just puts Avengers Infinity War for everything as a write-in. Anyway, so overwhelming majority win once again with 40 votes. Hereditary won out the poll here. Surprisingly, though, in second place with 16 votes was Bo Burnham's film, Eighth Grade, which just opened up in limited release and not a lot of people have seen it. So it's really cool to see that it cracked in a number two there. In third place, with 11 votes, was Thoroughbreds. In fourth place, with 10 votes, was Sorry to Bother You. And in fifth place, to round things out, with seven votes, was Blockers. Okay, I'm happy that Blockers got some love. Yeah, definitely. So now for this week's poll, uh, for the Equalizer 2, we're asking everyone which is their favorite Denzel Washington action action movie. And a lot of choices here, Book of Eli, Deja Vu, The First Equalizer, Magnificent Seven, Man on Fire, Training Day, I know, I know, I know, it might be a little bit of a cheat there, Virtuosity, The Mighty Quinn, you know, definitely going back to some of Denzel's young, uh, earlier roles with some of these here. Uh, but yeah, Will, what would be your choice? <clears throat> For favorite Denzel Washington movie? No, action film. Do we get to count Glory as an action film? No. I have a soft spot in my heart for The Book of Eli. I actually think that's a pretty underrated action film. Extremely well shot. There's a pretty cool score going on there. Um, Doesn't quite stick the landing in its third act, but I've always found it underrated. What about you, Michael? Uh, I think I have to go with Training Day. And Parm? I think my vote would go to Inside Man. That, That movie is really, really solid. It the ending's not that great to the movie, but everything else in it, I think, is just a really fun, entertaining movie. I really enjoy Inside Man. Yeah, and I gotta and I gotta throw one out there for Man on Fire. That would be my pick. Oh, I forgot about Man on Fire. That movie's awesome. For context, let me just say, out of all these movies, I've only seen Training Day and Taking a Fell in One, Two, Three. So, sort of by default, that's how I came. And, with and, my and let's be clear, Training Day is cheating, Matt. <laughs> if Glory's cheating, so is Training Day. Yeah, I, I suppose you're right. In any event, though, polls up. Head over to nextbestpicture.com in the poll section and cast a vote. 
Will Mavity, I understand you have to depart. I apologize. I know the uh, episode is going a little long at the moment, but uh, we really appreciate your uh, thoughts and contributions earlier on in the uh, discussion about the Oscar predictions. And we'll see you next week, sir. All right. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. Oh, and just let it be known, I'm obsessed with both the trailers for Mary Queen of Scots and The Favorite. They have my love, so enjoy talking about them. All right. Take care. What's really unfortunate, though, is that Will was not very enthusiastic, I guess, about our first trailer, which is for Colette, <laughs> which he didn't mention there, uh, which stars uh, Kira Knightley and Dominic West. So let's take a look at this one. May I introduce to you my new wife, Colette? The wild days are done, eh? On the contrary, the wild days have just begun. You've married a literary entrepreneur. You've married a country girl without a penny to her name. We're doomed, aren't we? <laughs> Willie is a brand. I take all the risk and there's still no money. We need more output. You, you could write. My school stories. Yes, that could be Willie's next novel. Are you writing for him too? Yes. He's made you one of his ghosts already. My name is Claudine. I live in Montigny. I shall probably not die there. It's beautiful. We've never had one fly off the shelves like this before. And do you know who's buying it? Young women. Really? Willie, your book will change the world! Claudine! Subtle as ever. I have a little plan to turn Claudine into the most popular girl in the entire world. I believe Willie based Claudine on your school days. Yes, I think I had a little something to contribute. Finally, we have a success, and then you imply that I'm not the true author of it. People love to talk. I understand the mentality here. You don't. I understand it well enough to write a book that's a toast to Paris. You've done something important. All those young girls, we've given them a voice. You should own up to it. He was after you. Your jealousy is misplaced. How so? It was the wife I found interesting. We're holding dynamite here. It could blow our bloody heads off. Since when have you considered scandal to be a bad thing? Oh, how interesting. Your love line splits into three. Get used to marriage. Better to make marriage get used to you. People are begging for more. I don't want to write another Claudine. Are you out of your mind? Right! Where you bastard! No one can take away who you are. Destroy these. Incinerate them. You found me when I knew nothing. You molded me to your own desires. that I could never break free. Well, you're wrong. The hand that holds the pen writes history. So what do we think here, guys? First of the costume dramas uh, for the trailers that we're discussing on this episode, uh, Colette was seen by Deanne, actually, at Sundance this year. Her review is up on nextbestpicture.com. She gave it an 8 out of 10. She cited Kira Knightley as a potential Oscar contender for Best Actress and that the costumes were definitely to be praised, which is something I'm sure is going to be a common theme here with these trailers this week. But what did you guys ultimately think? It looks like Big Eyes Part 2. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a good point. Yeah, I got Big Eyes vibe from it uh, myself. It looks fine. looks like it might be a good movie. I don't know if it's something that I would necessarily go head over heels for, but it looks like a solid showcase for Keira Knightley, at least. It is sitting at 100% Rotten Tomatoes right now, based on uh, the 10 reviews that are up, so... 
pretty enthusiastic. And I mean, she's great. I mean, I've, I've always found her to be, uh, you know, somebody who, how, how do I describe it? It's like, it's weird. Like I've, I've always felt like Kira Knightley is that one of those actresses that like, she's always been consistently solid, but I've also never truly been blown away by her. Has anyone here ever been blown away by one of her performances? Can't say I have. But but like, do you agree with me that you think she's always like consistently solid? Yeah, like in Pride and Prejudice, she was that was probably her best work. Uh, I thought she was sort of lame in the Imitation Game. Atonement, Never Let Me Go. Yeah, Atonement's good. I mean, she's never really bad. It's just waiting for that one role that goes wow that is really what Kira Knightley is capable of yeah uh this could be it though who knows I, I think the trailer looks pretty good and it's also worth noting that it's directed by uh Wash Westmoreland who did uh still Alice he directed co-directed it with his uh partner Richard Glatz Glatzer who passed away shortly after uh still Alice opened so this is the first uh film that he's doing on his own wow and to go from something like that to a major period piece like this, you know, that's definitely an undertaking for sure. He's been around for years, though, doing a lot of films. So, OK, really cool. Definitely looking forward to seeing this one. Um, I know Deanne, like I said, was a fan of it. And, you know, with her uh, enthusiastic uh, response to it, I, I definitely want to see what it's all about. Moving on now to the second trailer for this episode is Yorgos Lanthimos's film The Favorite with Emma Stone, Olivia Coleman, and Rachel Weisz got a little bit of talk earlier on in the episode. Now we're going to go into some more detail. Let's take a look. Dearest queen, how goes the kingdom? Did you just look at me? Stop it! I am the queen. But you are mad. <laughs> Bro! You look like a badger. I've sent for some lobsters. I thought we could race them and then eat them. Ah! Is there cake? Be gone! Let's shoot something. I should have you stripped and whipped. I'm waiting. We went for something dramatic. Ah! How dare you! Majesty. I'd like to enjoy the music now. This is madness. Sometimes a lady likes to have some fun. Okay, so that looks batshit bananas. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, as someone who is somewhat turned off by Yorgos Lanthimos films, like uh, there were elements of Dog Tooth that I liked, and I liked the first half of The Lobster, but he usually gets a little too weird for me. I'm very intrigued by this. I think it looks more accessible than his other works. And I love seeing these three actresses, uh, little bits of them in the trailers. So we'll see what Fox Searchlight can do with it. You know what? I was I was actually thinking about this, Michael, because when we talked offline and you said that, you know, this looks really good. I was trying to figure out why. And I think I figured it out. Maybe it feels like it has that Armando Inanucci like absurdist comedy factor to it that's like in stuff like in the loop and veep and you know what we saw earlier this year with the death of Stalin and I was like oh this is kind of playing into Michael's I think wheelhouse in terms of slapstick absurdist comedy yeah it could be a little bit of that I don't think it'll have the same wit as uh, Iannucci's work but I think Yorgos Lanthimos will have it you know his typical style but Bring in it, bring it in a little bit more to get a different type of audience than his homes are used to. 
Yeah, thinking about Yorgos Lanthimos and like widespread commercial hit, just there's something very <laughs> incongruous about that thought to me. Um, but I love this trailer. The favorite is actually my most anticipated film of the year. I I am so interested in seeing this movie. I think it looks really fun and enjoyable in a Lanthimos type of way, probably. But I'm very, very intrigued. I am so excited to see this movie. Can we also talk about how gorgeous the cinematography looks as well? I was surprised to hear you say that because there were a lot of uh, Les Mis angles in this trailer. Well, you know what? Maybe it's because it plays really, really quickly. And when I see it in context of the film itself, I'll feel differently. Uh, kind of the same way I felt about Les Mis. Um, you know, in the trailer, I praised it. But then when I saw it throughout the film and I was like, oh, this is dizzying, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I did get those vibes, too. And yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I'm sort of adverse to that kind of style as well. But I don't know. Maybe it'll play better for me. I, I'm not sure. And also, too, let's not forget um, as well, uh, you know, rounding out the cast other than Olivia Coleman, Emma Stone, and Rachel Weisz, you also have Nicholas Holt, uh, Joe Alwyn from uh, Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk, and Mark Gaddis as well, who's known very well within the television community for a Doctor Who and for Sherlock. So definitely a lot of great assembled talent for this one as well. And it's also interesting, too, to point out that this film is not written by Yorgos Lanthimos and his uh, writing partner. Uh, I'm going to butcher this. I'm sorry. Ephemus Filippo. Filippo. I cannot. I can't. I tried. I just can't. But yeah, this is the first film not written uh, by them. They uh, wrote Killing of a Sacred Deer. They wrote The Lobster together. So that could also play very much into what we're talking about here with this being maybe a little bit of a breakaway for Yorgos Lanthimos and it becoming his first big hit. I did not realize that until you just mentioned it. So that's very interesting to note. Sort of reminds me of Alexander Payne when he uh, only directed Nebraska, didn't write it. Exactly. Okay. Any other comments on the favorite? It looks, looks good. good. It's really, really good. And Nicholas Holt is also in it, which means that I was going to see it anyway. <laughs> All righty. And now it's time for Oscar bait, the trailer. No, I'm kidding. It's a film we talked about earlier here on the episode, directed by Josie Rourke, starring Saoirse Ronan, Margot Robbie. This is Mary, Queen of Scots. England does not look so different from Scotland. Aye, they are sisters. Queen Elizabeth, your cousin Mary has returned to take up her throne in Scotland. The Queen! My dear cousin Elizabeth, I hope we might meet in person, that I might embrace you. But ruling side by side, we must do so in harmony, not through a treaty drafted by men lesser than ourselves. My dear cousin, let our nations cherish each other as we would. Two kingdoms united. How did the world come to this? Wise men servicing the whims of women. Mary is our foe. We must never bow to her as we bow before you. You have the boldness to doubt my judgment. She is only your queen if I should not produce an heir. What is it like to have a man? <laughs> With heaven's blessing, we bring an heir to Scotland and to England. It is a clear provocation. We must make war in Scotland. So put your skills to use. 
Do not play into their hands. Our hatred is precisely what they hope for. I know your heart has more within it than the men who counsel you. You would do well to watch your words. I will not be scolded by my inferior. Your inferior? Are you afraid, Henry? No. Good. Because our swords are not just for show. We have a scourge upon our land. Tis a woman with a crown. Your beauty, your bravery. Now I see there is no cause for envy. Your gifts will be your downfall. Should you murder me, remember you murder your sister. And you murder your queen. Well, we have two acting nominations to look forward to. I, I'm starting to think like, I'm starting to think that Margot Robbie could actually win <laughs> based on this. Yeah, I she think certainly she has that really moment with the dramatic, uh, I don't know if it's a monologue, but she certainly has a response to what uh, Saoirse Ronan is saying. And then she removes that wig and it's like, oh, my God. Yeah, she's in a like a really good position like Ronan, you know, Ronan has more nominations and has uh, kind of the more overdue narrative for her. But, uh, you know, Robbie, she got a lot of great notices for I, Tanya last year, and it's definitely one of those things where it's an afterglow for her as well. And that could propel her to a win, especially if she's, you know, kind of in the supporting category, depending on what they want to do, maybe with Amy Adams. I could see her winning. Now, Michael, correct me if I'm wrong. But we kind of saw this story play out in Elizabeth the Golden Age, correct? Uh, it, I, it's been years since Elizabeth the Golden Age. I think you saw part of it in the original Elizabeth rather than the, the sequel. But where you definitely saw it play out is the original Mary Queen of Scots with Vanessa Redgrave and Glenda Jackson. See, no, I haven't seen that, so I can't, I can't say I've seen that. <laughs> so, I mean, this story, this is not the first time the story has been put to film. It's just a matter of which interpretation will resonate more and back in the day when the original mary queen of scots opened vanessa redgrave was nominated for playing the titular role so the only thing that kind of threw me off about this trailer costumes look great makeup looks great max richter's doing the score you know that's going to be great performances look great visually this left something to be desired from me i don't know if it's the high key lighting i don't know if it's the low budget factor because like you know they're they're obviously teasing like some sort of a battle and there's like very conspicuously like hidden in the trailer we don't really see glimpses of it i'm wondering if this is like one of those situations where from a visual standpoint the film could be lacking well i don't think the battle is necessarily some major thing it's more of like the tension between mary and elizabeth what do you think josh um, yeah, I think that, um, I, I think movies like this though, you don't really need to be that visually stimulating. I think it's going to be driven more so by the performances and by the writing. I think that's what people are really coming for. And yeah, maybe the battle sequences won't be that, uh, enticing, but I really do think that it's really just going to be a showcase for those two actresses. And as long as they deliver, I think that's the only thing people are really going to, uh, take care of or are really going to notice from that movie and that's going to elevate the rest of the film yeah 
Okay, uh, we have a question here from Uncle Jeff 73 on Twitter. And this is a very interesting one. I'm very curious to know what your thoughts are on this, gentlemen. After seeing the trailer for Mary, Queen of Scots, a friend uh, writes that she can already tell that the film is historically inaccurate. Do you think filmmakers should have some kind of obligation to be as truthful as possible, even when it might be less dramatic? Well, Absolutely does... not. I think a film is a film, and there's a reason that you know history textbooks exist. Yeah, and it's just what is truthful as possible. Like I, I don't know how you could ever successfully define that. You know, I mean, I, I guess sometimes when a person maybe is still alive, you might have an obligation to do your research a little bit more thoroughly. But you're always going to change some things for dramatic effect. That's always going to be there whenever you uh, adapt a story from real life. So I think you always need to go into those movies with that expectation whenever you watch them okay no i think that's all really great answers there film is written by uh bo william uh williamon who uh, is the writer for house of cards he also wrote the ides of march which was a pretty tense and politically uh well-written piece he was nominated for that yeah yeah so i'm really curious to see with mary queen of scots how his style of creating tension and drama through um, a political backdrop is going to play out here with Mary Queen of Scots. I'm definitely very, very intrigued by it, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing how it all plays out. Okay, some final fan questions, and then we can leave. So very quickly, let's go through some of these. This is episode 99, and Faker Brent Leone thought it would be really funny, I guess, to ask this question. What is the best film of 1999? That is a very funny question because uh, I'm going to give a little plug here ahead of when it's being released this week. I was a guest on Kevin Jacobson's podcast, and the runner-up is talking about the Oscar year 1999. That's great. So look for that this week. And on that podcast, we were talking about the films that came out that year. My favorite film wasn't even nominated for Best Picture in 1999, and that was Toy Story 2. So I love that one. I wish it had been in there so I could have thrown my support to it. But my second favorite film of that year was the Best Picture winner, and that is American Beauty. So two choices to go with there. I would also go with that. Yeah. Oh, wait. The American Beauty is your number two, and Toy Story is your number one as well? Uh, no, my pick for the best film of 1999 is American Beauty. I, I, I know that it still kind of gets hated on a bit, and especially now it's been recontextualized with some actors that are in it, but I still find that movie to be very, very good. Uh, my number three is Toy Story 2. My number two is American Beauty. My number one is Fight Club. <laughs> I, I have to. <laughs> I gotta. That film made such an impression on me when I saw it uh, when I was a early teenager. Should not have been watching that film, but alas. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. It's actually the opposite reaction for me when it comes to Fight Club. I remember watching it when I was young and really loving it, but as I've gotten older, I don't know. There's something about that movie has pushed me further and further away. I admire it from a technical perspective, but I don't know. That movie just doesn't really do it for me as much as it did. I wasn't going to say it, but I really dislike Fight Club. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, great year, though, for 1999. Oh, absolutely. Amazing films. One of the best years, I think, in film history, honestly. Oh, yeah. You could have easily had, like, ten nominees that year. Nobody would have been mad. And another uh, question also pertaining to, well, clo close to 99. This is something to do about 100. Uh, Brian Suspilis on uh, Twitter is asking us, 
Are any of you going to pay up for the new Bergman 100 collection in November? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's going to cost so much money. <laughs> well, I think we all know Michael's answer. <laughs> Not an Ingmar Bergman fan, Michael? Oh, I like Ingmar Bergman fine, but I don't need to buy his movies and watch them over and over again. You know, that's what Netflix is for, renting them. Uh, or Filmstruck. Whatever it is, any streaming service. I don't need to keep these movies, if that makes and, sense. And I'm going to say this. I'm not going to end up buying the collection. And my reason is because I already own pretty much all of his essential films individually in my Criterion collection. So I'm pretty all set with that. I will say, though, yesterday to celebrate his 100th birthday, I did listen to the cast album of A Little Night Music based on one of his films. Oh, yeah? And? Well, I mean, it's Sondheim. Little Night Music by Stephen Sondheim based on a Smiles of a Summer Night. Nice. I mean, that's one of the great pieces of theater. But that we could that for the Next Best Theater podcast. Well, speaking of which, uh, for Next Best Series, another podcast spinoff that we do here at NextBestPicture.com, the Emmy nominations were announced this week. And we're going to be covering that, of course, on the podcast in a few weeks' time. In the lead up to the award ceremony, we'll give our reactions to the nominees, talk about how well we did for, with our predictions, and then we'll give our predictions for the winners. But Kevin Jacobson, who we plugged a little bit earlier before on the podcast, he sent in a question that's asking us, the inclusion of the tale among this week's Emmy nominations made me wonder if you think TV movies like this should be honored at the Oscars instead of theatrical, uh, re- instead regardless of theatrical release, while the Emmys should just honor series. If HBO were to give the tale a theatrical push like they did for Mudbound last year, even if it's just in a few theaters for a qualifying run, I think then we could be having this conversation. But the way that it was done by just putting it on HBO, I think that is just strictly Emmys. Yeah, I think you've got to pick a lane. And if you want to qualify for Emmys, then that's where you go. And if you want to be a movie, then you got to go through the route of getting it in theaters. I, I'm very much for the delineation between what is television and what is film. And I know it's getting fuzzier as the years go on, but I really like keeping that strict line. And The Tale, it premiered on HBO, so it's a TV movie. It's very interesting, though, because I saw The Tale at Sundance before it was actually picked up by HBO. So I watched it from a mindset of, oh, this is going to be a theatrical film and Laura Dern's going to be in the Best Actress conversation this year. Yippee, you know? Yeah. And to now see it go, you know, to television, it, it almost makes me wonder if Kevin, I'll, I'll have to ask him if, if he's like an advocate for getting rid of the TV movie category. Well, I'm an advocate for getting rid of it just because it's a wasteland. I mean, I think they should combine it with a limited series. Yeah, because it's such a great area. If you're going to be a movie, release it theatrically and be a movie. I mean, no, there is such a thing as a TV movie. But I'm just saying that category, there are not enough of them to fill five or six slots, whatever it is. So you can still have TV movies. There's no problem in that. Just keep them at the Emmys. Unless you decide to put them in a theater, then we could have that other conversation. I mean, a year from now, are we going to be talking about... Roma for uh, Emmy nominations? I don't think so, but... I mean, it's again, it's that gray area. Yeah, definitely interesting. Good topic of conversation. Something we'll have to save for a shorter episode next time, because this one uh, definitely is, like I was saying before, going a little long at the moment. Even Will had to back out. So, with that said, let's get out of here. Michael Schwartz, where can I find you on the internet, sir? You can find me on Twitter at MikeMovie. And you, Josh? You can find me on Twitter at JRParham. 
And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 99 of the Next Best Picture podcast. Next week is episode 100. Woo! Yeah. I just have a... Oh, God, I have the moment from Requiem for a Dream stuck in my head. Be excited. Be, be excited. Well, hopefully we don't end like Requiem for a Dream. Ah, okay. (laughs) Well... In any event, though, thank you, everyone, for helping us get to this huge milestone. I'm sure there will be plenty of thanks to be given on next week's show as well. Lots of surprises in store for everybody. Definitely tune in. And as always, thank you so much for your support here. You can subscribe to the Next Best Picture podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, and also on CastBox. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Also, to head over to our Patreon page for $1 minimum a month. You get some exclusive podcast content, some throwback reviews that we alluded to earlier on in the episode. And as always, guys, thank you so much. We shall see you all episode 100 next time. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.